Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club, the place investors go to learn tips, tricks, and stories from other investors in the field. Before I introduce today's guest, I have three short housekeeping items to cover. First, if you like our content, the best way to support us is simply to like, subscribe, comment, or share this episode with your friends and family. Second, we are active investors ourselves and are always on the lookout for mobile home, RV, mixed-use commercial, and multifamily properties in MSAs with a population of 100,000 or more. So if you are also an active investor and have something you think we may be interested in, we would love to take a look. Send us the details of the deal at www.therealestateinvestingclub.com. Third, if you are a new investor and would like to learn how to get started or scale your real estate investing business, go to www.therealestateinvestingclub.com to check out our course. So without further ado, let's dive right in. We have a very special guest with us today, so buckle up, grab your pen and paper, and enjoy the ride. Right, we are live today. We have Kathy Fetke, the co-CEO of the Real Wealth Wealth Network, host of the Real Wealth Show, and author of Retire Rich with Rentals. Kathy, thank you very much for jumping on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's it's July and the sun is out, and I'm not going anywhere. And that that's unusual. So, <laughs> Since meaning travel wise, travel wise, yeah. <laughs> hopefully yeah, I'm going absolutely. somewhere else. Absolutely. <laughs> we're all kind of, we're all kind of stuck in now. So that's just, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, to get us started, why don't you tell everybody, you know, who you are, where you're from and how you got started in real estate in the first place. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm the co-CEO and uh, founder of Real Wealth Network, which is now Real Wealth. We have that URL now. Uh, <laughs> I started Boy, well, now we have over 50,000 members. We help people in high-priced markets buy cash-flowing properties in some of the best growth markets in the U.S. So what we've had to overcome is the, all the barriers of investing outside of where you live. And because we're from California and many of our members from our real estate club are in California, um, there's very little cash flow in California unless you go out. You know, There might still be some in Fresno and Bakersfield, maybe maybe parts of Sacramento, but definitely not in LA, San Diego, or San Francisco. Maybe if you do short term, short term, uh, you know, Airbnb stuff. But bottom line is that for 15 years, we've been figuring out the ins and outs of buying in other places where uh, a house you could buy a whole house for what would be a down payment for us here, and um, and so that all sounds easy, but there's a whole lot more to it, which is why I wrote a book on it. Because what seems so simple, oh, I'm going to buy a $50,000 house in Ohio. Well, that could end up being your biggest nightmare uh, if you, you know, if you don't do it right. And I've had a lot of those nightmares personally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm really glad to have you on here because that is, uh, it's it's a really important topic. Um, You know, I have... Uh, almost invested. So most of my investments myself have been in Washington state, um, actually all of them. So I haven't gone outside of the state yet, but um, I've almost pulled the trigger. And you know, when you get to that point, you you kind of realize um, all of the different things that could go wrong. Um, you got to have a team, you got to do the due diligence without actually being in the area. And so, um, so I'm really glad to have you on because that's a really important topic. And, uh, and I'm sure you can share a lot of amazing wisdom on that. Um, so, so how did you get into real estate in the first place though? Let's go back to the beginning. I was just about to say, I don't think I answered your question. So, (laughs) um, back in 
2003, I mean, gosh, I haven't told this story in so long. Um, I was a really happy housewife. I was raising our two little kids. We had just bought a gorgeous new house. My husband had just come out with his book called Extreme Success. He was traveling the country, promoting it. Uh, Simon & Schuster was billing him as the new Tony Robbins. So everything was amazing. And and my total dream, I mean, literally white white picket fence, all of it. And uh, he came home from his book tour. He'd just been in New York on um, you know all the major stations there. And he comes home and and he's like, you know, I I have this freckle. I need to go check. Bottom line, turns out he had melanoma. Um, he's a redhead. He was a bodybuilder. He did way too much tanning in those days, and uh, and uh, that caught up with him. So uh, the doctor did more testing, and it and they thought it had spread to his liver. And the doctor literally told him, "Looks like you may have three three months." Oof, so and this was not. That's hard. To Eighteen take. years ago, yeah. This is when there weren't cures for it. I mean, today it's a very different world, and there's more more treatments, but. Um, it was it was a terrifying time. So my my dream world just turned upside down overnight. Um, I I will tell you that it is in our darkest hours, um, our most difficult times that we can that that sometimes force us to do things we would never have thought of doing. I've never been motivated to do. Uh, I I you know never wanted to travel around the world looking for investment property. It wasn't even in my mind. <laughs> Not but, even on the horizon. No. No, but it was in a moment of, you know what? You get off the treadmill. You've been carrying this family financially. I will figure it out. It was a 100% commitment and he was 100% committed to living. Yep. So it was like, okay, this is a great agreement. You live, put all your attention there. I will figure <laughs> out the money. And after, you know, the best thing I can say to people is until you have 100% commitment, it's not a commitment. Because yep. if even with a diet, if it's like ninety percent, the ten percent is you know, like gonna gonna take you down. Because um, yep. you could be perfect all week and then splurge all day Sunday, and then you're back to square one. So it's got to be a hundred percent commitment. And for him, it was. In fact, one of his doctors looked at him in the eye and said, "How much of you believes you're going to live?" And he said, "Well, ninety percent, but there's this ten percent doubt." And the guy goes, "That ten percent will kill you." You got to be a hundred percent committed. And it I was like the it. same I for me. It. All right. I got to figure this out. So I, um, I had been in broadcasting. That was my, my degree in school. And I had worked in the newsrooms of, in San Francisco at ABC and Fox news and, um, CNN. And, um, and I quit when, when I had children, but I kept this really lame radio show on the weekends that I am pretty sure no one listened to. <laughs> uh, because I had no focus at all. But all of a sudden I thought, okay, I'm going to take my talents because I haven't been working for a while and I'm not sure how to get back into the working world. And I don't know how to make money anymore. And we just bought this huge house that's $4,000 a month. And I don't know how to make that much, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was back then. And, and uh, so I was just like, okay, I'm going to turn my radio show, which no one listens to anyway, and make it a focus on how do I make money? And how do other people make money? I'm just going to interview people who do it and find out. And that's what I did. And again, 100% attention. Once you do that, it comes to you. It just does. And all of a sudden, successful people were willing to be on my show. People like Robert Kiyosaki and um, Dennis Kaminsky and these big players, you know, were, I was shocked. They were willing to share their secrets. So that's how it started was first and foremost, awareness. Like, whoa, I don't know how to do this. Let me learn from other people who do. And, and that created a following all of a sudden I had an audience and people, there's other people who wanted 
to know how to do it as well. Then I thought, okay, well, I need money now. And that's a problem a lot of times with real estate investing. You need money sometimes. And we didn't have it. So I just thought, okay, well, how do I make money now uh, from this radio show? And like the obvious is sponsorships. Um, So I just went down the list of people who were sponsoring other shows. And at the time it was mortgage brokers because that was the mid 2000s and mortgage brokers were, you could be a stripper and be a great mortgage broker. I'm I'm not (laughs) kidding. I mean, I... I'll say more about that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I, when I became a mortgage broker, they were actually recruiting strippers from Las Vegas to, 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 do, to be mortgage brokers. That's, <laughs> That's a real hilarious. story. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. But, uh, but so I started interviewing, you know, just calling people who were advertising other shows. And I would say, hey, I see you're advertising that show. Would you like to advertise mine? And um, it was always a no. I went down a list. I called every day, every number in the phone book, went down the list. It was a no. And I just thought, what am I doing wrong? Why is nobody wanting to advertise on my show when they're doing it on other people's shows? And then I just kind of went outside. This is what I usually do when I don't know what to do is I just go outside and I'm just quiet and quiet my mind and I let it come to me. And it was like, well, because you're asking a favor of them versus giving something of benefit to them. So give them something of benefit but don't try to get their money. Nobody wants to just give you money. So what's the way I was going to change their lives? And I thought, okay, the next phone call I make is going to be so awesome for them. They can't say no. So I gave, I gave it all away at that point. I called the next <laughs> mortgage broker. I called, I was like, how would you like to be a superstar in San Francisco? And he's like, what do you it. mean? I said, well, I have this radio show. It's growing. I'll make you my co-host. And he's like, okay. (laughs) Then I looked at my husband after I hung up the phone and said, oh no, I'm now doing a mortgage show. (laughs) But he said, well, why don't you just make it a human interest and find out who's getting mortgages and why. And this is where oftentimes fate comes in when opportunity meets, uh, it's in Rich's book, but it's like, oh, when all of a sudden everything comes together when you really go for it and, and um, things just kind of start aligning. Just, it just lines up and it turns out this mortgage broker specialized in investment loans. So the idea of, Oh boy, I'm going to do a mortgage show and talk about rates all day. Not boring. But how about let's talk to your client and find out how they just did a renovation on the property and made 50 grand when they flipped it. Or how about your other client who just borrowed money and, bought their first house and turned it into a fourplex. And, and, uh, you know, these are all terms that people use now, the BRRR method and the, yep, yep, yep. um, house hacking. Those weren't terms back then. It was just, Hey, buy a house, rent out rooms, um, or, <laughs> you know, buy it, fix it up and, and sell it for a profit. So we just, he was all about wealth building. His clients were, and we just featured those people and all of a sudden, our phones were ringing off the hook with people who wanted mortgages. I so he's like, this is the best advertising I've ever done. This is the best sponsorship. I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle all the business. Why don't you get your mortgage license? So I did. And within a month, I was one of the busiest mortgage brokers in the Bay Area. Just it was amazing. So that was my entree into, into the business. But it was also at that time that I saw we were in the midst of a, a major potential crisis because once I was an insider in the mortgage business, I was the one going, does this? Wait a second. She can't afford that house. What's going on? <laughs> no, I literally would fill out an application as an honest human being 
turn it into the bank, and they would come back with a higher income for that client. And I would say, well, gosh, my client doesn't actually make that. And they said, well, it's a stated income loan, so no one's checking. You know, and oh, I would wow. come home and say, Jeez. "Well, honey, I, I does that sound right?" And he'd go, "No, that sounds like fraud." <laughs> um, so I'd go back to the customer and say, "I can't, you know, authorize. I can't do this." And they'd say, "Okay," and they go to the mortgage broker next to me and get the loan. You know, yeah, <laughs> so it was right. just like, "Oh boy, this is bad." And then, like I said, it kept getting worse. Where, you know, we I'd look at the person next to me, and it was a gorgeous stripper from Vegas who was taking those loans, and all you had to do was <laughs> fill out the paperwork. So it was at that time. Also, you could, you could give no money. You could, I could give someone a no money down loan. So you could walk in, I could have a friend walk in and they could say, you know, I'd like to buy this million dollar house. And all they'd have to do is fill out the application up to a million dollars, no money down, no credit check in some cases, no savings. I mean, like nothing. Just have it. (laughs) And you could often just get, um, your teaser rate. So if the actual payment was 4,000 a month, you could qualify for a thousand. So if you made $4,000 a month, qualify for the teaser rate, you knew that it was going to adjust. We knew those people couldn't pay. Wow. It was, so I was sitting there so new and fresh, loving the money. It changed our lives. It, It, we no longer had a financial crisis. Rich ended up getting better. He's healthy today. That's awesome. Congratulations. I was able to make <laughs> tremendous amount of money. I could make on one loan ten to $30,000. Wow. Jeez. What kind of loans were you giving out? That's impressive. Well, million-dollar loans. You know, you could oh. get between one and three points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'm in California, so a million-dollar loan was my first loan. It was an average loan. Normal. So Yeah, that makes sense. It, that's why mortgage brokers were driving fancy cars and living in big houses. It was easy, <laughs> easy money. And then, you know, so anyway, I was lucky enough to have the radio show to bring in people who could look at the system and say, yeah, something's wrong. Whereas most people weren't even questioning it, didn't care. There was so much money in it, didn't matter what the outcome was. And that's when I learned that you've got to stay ahead of the crowds because the crowds don't know and don't care. And even the people in the boardrooms don't care who are making up these ridiculous laws they didn't care. And I thought, how, how do they not care that they could give away a million dollar loan and not care if that person has the ability to pay it back? Oh, because only a few years later, those people would default, they get the property back. They're going to get, they have insurance on it. I mean, they got bailed out. There's a whole lot to it. But what I learned is that you've got to not trust anyone, but your (laughs) gut and get the information you need. Because my gut was saying, this is wrong. My husband was saying, this is fraud. Don't do it, uh, but but million but you know most mortgage brokers and most borrowers were doing it anyway, and so were the banks. The bottom line, Kiyosaki came on the show and he said, "Yeah, that's going to blow up. Uh, sell all of your assets." This was by now it was two thousand six. He got on my show before. and said, "Sell everything you've got in the high priced bubble markets and exchange for properties in Texas, because okay. Texas had not blown um, up yet." done that. They were very strict on their lending. They had been through the SNL crisis in the 80s. It had tanked their economy and they created new rules and said, no, you can't do 100% cash out or 104% cash out or whatever that you know anyone could do. And prices were still well below what they should be. It was, if, if anything, for some reason, Texas home prices were 26% undervalued when in California huh. they were 100% overvalued, you know? Right. Um, so he taught me 
He showed me what he was doing. He taught me. I got on a plane the next week, came back with five houses because I was a mortgage broker. So I could just do the loans like that. And it was at the time there was unlimited investor loans you could get with no money down. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. That is a that is a great uh, starting story to an investor's <laughs> career. So <laughs> that's it's a long one, long winded, but a lot of people know. don't realize how insane it was. It's great, yeah. So I mean, a couple things jumped out on that. Um, I mean, for one, a couple people have uh, the listeners have reached out and they're you know they're interested about a podcast. So you're another um, example of why starting. I mean, you started with a radio show. Um, I didn't start the, with. I didn't start investing with this podcast, but I've had great things come from it. Um, so just as a as a sidebar here, if anybody is thinking about starting a podcast, do it um, or a radio show or whatever it is. Any way to get your your voice out there, um, I highly suggest you do it. It's it's a lot simpler than it seems, and you get to talk to awesome people like Kathy. So. Um, so do oh, it. That's you. a sidebar. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll but jump but off it's a that. really important point because that's exactly what Rich did. My husband um, took my radio show in San Francisco. He was carrying around an iPod at the time, if you remember those. And he goes, <laughs> oh, look, iTunes is now letting you upload your stuff. You can upload your show. You can upload your own songs. Um, and he did. He just took my radio show, uploaded it. So I was one of the first podcasters. Wow. Oh, gee. And it's <laughs> been, and within... I mean, that's nice. I got a head start on it. But within a month, not only did we have listeners in San Francisco, we had them in 27 countries. Wow. That's awesome. That's what's beautiful about podcasting is the reach. So, um, you know, you only do podcasting if you love it and you're good at it because there's lots of ways to market and at least, at least get the basics down because, um, you know, it's just, it's not for everyone, but if you have any desire at all, do it, do it, do it, do it. It is, it's a great way to reach people. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's how your, your, uh, your story got started. You start, you had, you know, your husband went through this health crisis, um, all of the financial, uh, burden or however you want to put it was put on your shoulders and you're like, I'm committing, I'm a hundred percent in, this is going to happen. Um, and actually I remember, uh, when you said that a quote um, popped into my mind, it was, a uh, 99% a bitch, a hundred percent a breeze. Um, yes. and I a hundred percent agree with that. So you, you were a hundred percent in, you were going to make this work. Um, you didn't know, you know, you weren't sure how to go about, you know, getting to that 4,000 that you needed a month for your, for your mortgage. Um, you're thinking, you know what, I got this skill. I've got, uh, um, a radio show. Let's just try that out. The first time didn't work. Uh, you, you tried, you tried, but it didn't work. And then you realize you need to give before you get, um, you gave and everything came back to you. And, uh, and so that kind of brings us up to today. I mean, you, you did your radio show, you got into mortgages, um, and then you flew out to Texas. You bought 20 single family, multifamily, something we like bought, that. We um, bought just five single family homes, brand new, in, uh, outside of Dallas in a little area called Rockwall. We bought these houses for $135,000. Everybody thought we were nuts. Wow. Um, when was this? What year? Oh my gosh, 2004, 2005. Oh, wow. Um, then they rented for 1500. So it just made sense to me and Robert Kiyosaki was doing it. So I'm like, Hey, he's 1% he's doing rule, it. Man. I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I came home and talked about it on the radio and suddenly there were a lot of people who, a lot of experienced investors who were like, Oh honey, Oh honey, nothing happens in Texas. And I was like, well, but actually a lot <laughs> is happening in know? Texas. A lot of jobs moving there. Like, no, but values never go up. It's like, well, that's because there hasn't been a lot of jobs going there, but there are now they've changed the rules. It's attract, they're attracting businesses every week, you know, so massive, highest job growth, highest population, um, yeah, highest job growth, highest population growth in the country. So 
the values just hadn't caught up, but people couldn't see that. So like I said, you, you just have to get, you have to be able to see the future and where things are headed because everyone was looking at the past like, oh honey, nothing happens in Texas. Those values never go up. Well, that's great for me because since people couldn't see the future and what was coming, I got the deals. So <laughs> I just talked about it on the radio and I, all of a sudden I had just phones ringing again. Oh, I want to do what you just did. So I was like, great, I'll take you there and I'll show you what I did. And, and then I realized since I was a licensed agent, I could get a referral fee from my agent in Dallas. So I would bring people by the 50 people per bus and <laughs> we go driving through Dallas and I was making these referral fees, like 25% basically of the other broker's commission, which is pretty normal in, in real estate. So it was like, became this incredible new business model for me, uh, but also just massively helping people sell their high-priced bubble property in California right before the crash and bought in Texas. So literally, I mean, one of the stories in my book, Retire Rich with Rentals, is about a woman who came to me. She heard me on the radio. She's like, I don't agree with you. Rental property is awful. I have three of them in Stockton. All they do is break down. I'm always working on them, Um, getting calls in the middle of the night. Every nightmare you can imagine. She bought old properties in a bad part of town, paid too much, and not realizing her dream of retirement because she was making no money on them. So I said, well, look, they're $420,000 each. They rent for $1,200 each. You get no cash flow because the $1,200 eaten up by all the repairs needed. Why don't you try what I'm doing? Sell those and take that million bucks, 1.2 million from those three houses and let's go buy you 10 in in Dallas. And she did it. And so she sold those crappy, excuse me, just horrible properties in Stockton. Somebody bought them. Somebody thought an old dilapidated property was a good deal at $420,000 that rented for $1,200. Anyway, I'll explain. She, <laughs> she bought nine um, of the properties I had bought in Rockwell, like dollars $140,000 properties. She quadrupled her cash flow. Now she had new homes. She had property management, that I, the same property manager I was using, who wasn't great, but still better than her doing it. Um, back then, property managers were just mom and pops and with very few systems. It was terrible, but still better than having to go do it yourself. And she was able to retire. She 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 it. was able to quadruple her cash flow, and not have to work on those properties. So it was a, a miracle. But the best part is that uh, for her, eighteen months later, when the market did crash, the properties she sold for four hundred twenty thousand were worth about seventy five thousand dollars each. Ooh. So had she waited and done nothing, she would have lost everything. The person who bought those from her did lose everything. Oof. The properties she bought in Dallas have since tripled in value. And never went vacant and never. So bottom line is it's so important to make sure you understand where you're investing and that you understand market cycles. I am not a big believer in buy and hold forever. I'm a a big believer in, in rental income, but always relooking at the property that you have to make sure that, that you're getting the most value from it that you can and that the market hasn't changed so much that maybe it's time to get out of it. Absolutely. And on that note, I'm going to, um, let's take it in that direction. So we, you know, we've gotten, we've, uh, we've listened to your story up till now. It's been, it's been a great ride. It sounds like, um, I mean, now you're at the real, real wealth network or just realwealth.com. Um, so now you're helping other investors invest, not internationally invest out of state. 
mm-hmm. so that's kind of your specialty. This is what you're really good at. Um, and it's something I'm, I'm really interested in because I've yet to do it, but I do want to do it. And I know there's great markets out there. Um, so kind of t- tell us the process and uh, how it differs between investing in something that's in-state and out-of-state. What are the big um, mistakes that people generally make and how can they, how can they get over those hurdles? Most of it's pretty similar, the, you know, really understanding comps. I mean, even if you're going to buy the house next door, you need to know what the comps are. You need to know the condition of the property. You need to know what local rents are and rental demand. I mean, all of those things matter no matter what. So it's the same basics. Fundamentals stay there. Fundamentals, same thing. But the big differences are that uh, you, you're going to maybe be less familiar with the other area. So you might, for an example, Kansas City, very good market um, in some areas. Now, if you're in one part of Kansas City that is really good, only one mile away, it's real bad. But so if you're just looking on a map or looking at properties online, you wouldn't know that. And you could really get taken advantage of. Same thing with Cleveland. Um, there are parts of Cleveland that are just high crime, um, just high turnover, very difficult to keep your tenants. Um, whereas literally a mile away, you've got, you'll be renting to doctors and nurses and, and, oh, wow. and right around the healthcare system there and the universities. So it, it's easy to get bamboozled, I guess is the best way to say it. So um, again, the same fundamentals need to be in place where you need to be able to research crime rates and and quality of schools. And so that's one. Um, two is a lot of different cities have weird laws. And it's it's a, it's really un, important to understand that no city is the same when it comes to their landlord laws or their rental property laws. Um, like I said, Cleveland, I mean, I love Cleveland as an investment. It's one of the markets that we promote. We have a team there that we refer our members to that has just done an amazing job. But what you might not know is that um, the city will come in and check out the rental property to make sure it's being well cared for and they'll do an inspection and they will force you to repair things. I just, I just had that happen and they made us put on a new roof when it really didn't, maybe it wasn't needed it yet, Yeah, but we had to do it. It was required. So now we have a new roof. Um, it was a little bit of a bummer, but um, these are things you, you just need to understand about a city. Another thing about um, Ohio and Cleveland specific is that, when the tenant takes their utilities, specifically water, and they don't, and there's maybe a, a leak or they vacate the property and it's still in their name, you as the owner of the property are on the hook. So if they had overused the water or there was a break in the pipe and they didn't tell you now had hundreds of dollars worth of water bills, you wouldn't be alerted. So you would need to make sure that you put, oh, interesting. That you wow. are put on the utility as on the service as a contact. Um, because we've had investors come to us and say, oh my gosh, I got, you know, a $300 water bill. Why? And the the tenant left and didn't pay. Um, it's because the water bill, it just, it doesn't follow the tent, the tenant, it follows the owner. That's interesting. Yeah. Little things like that, that are just important to know. Um, the biggest one would be landlord laws. Um, really understanding tenant friendly versus landlord friendly, um, we love certain places because the laws are very much in the landlord's favor, mm-hmm. um, which us, those of us on the West coast, we don't, 
we don't know what that's right. like. <laughs> right? It's all about the tenant. And that's great. That's great if you're a tenant. It's really tough when you're a landlord to do business in California or Washington um, or Oregon. So, But in Texas, there's a different mentality of personal responsibility that if the tenant does not play, pay, put a three-day notice, um, if, they, if they go to court, there has to be a very good reason why they didn't pay. And if they don't, the sheriff will come. 45, they'll be wow. out in 45 days and in some cases even remove all your belongings and put it on the street and it becomes public property. Oh, wow. So it's, I again, not great for the tenant. I mean, hopefully, you know, if it's a real issue, like the tenant's sick, the landlord yeah. would be understanding. But um, you will not have someone living there for six months because they filed bankruptcy like they can do in California. Right. Not pay, not pay a dime. Awesome. So, okay. So you said... Um, First of all, you need to know you need to know the local market, um, and that's talking. We're talking about economics. We're talking about um, crime rates. We're talking schools, all that kind of thing. Whenever you're investing, you got to research the area that you're looking to invest in and find the pockets that are actually good, the ones that you want to to actually invest in. And you mentioned um, it sounds like in Cleveland, you can be you know doctors and nurses uh, in you know A Street, and then a mile away on Z Street, you got. Um, you know, gangbangers and, and exactly. you know, things you don't want. <laughs> you were getting, right. Yep. So you really need to know the local market. Um, and then also you mentioned you got to know the laws. So you have to understand the tenant laws, understand um, landlord laws, everything that goes into actually managing the property once you get it. So I love that you said that. Um, so that is, so on, that sounds like it's both on the acquisition and the management side, which side do the issues usually pop up? Is it um, when people buy, do they buy wrong or do they mismanage um, from a distance? I would say both. I mean, within our own network, what we've done to help mitigate that is identified real estate agents that can be trusted. Um, unfortunately, and, and we're, we're really changing this nationwide and, and um, building our national brokerage to having just agents who specialize only in investment property because most real estate agents don't, they don't understand it. They don't own it. They don't maybe even own their own home, um, but they do specialize in finding your home, your, your place you will live in. But they, most real estate agents wouldn't understand rental, you know, rent, rent rates in that area or demand or anything or who, who the best uh, property manager is. So the biggest, uh, Oh my gosh, let me make sure I am remembering your question. <laughs> uh, when it comes between acquisition and management. Oh um, yeah, acquisition, so- yeah, yeah. So because I would say acquisition, I mean, obviously that is the most important thing. Once you own it, it's your baby and you're stuck with it. So proper due diligence is always the most important. If you overpay for it, you're buying the wrong neighborhood, you, there's nothing you can do. But you can also buy the perfect property, right? You can buy it under value. You can get an amazing deal, have it be right by an A-plus school and right by the a brand new job center and all the right things and still mess it up, right? <laughs> so, And that's happened to me too, where you, know, the, you just aren't paying as close attention to it. So um, you know, it's really, I, I don't even know how to say which one's more important. They're both so important. They're Absolutely. both without those key elements. It's just not, it's not an appreciating asset. It's not a cash flowing asset. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, awesome. So I want to shift gears again, just one more time. Um, you've t- given us a lot of information about, you know, how to, you know, 
actually, I, we didn't go over that. That was one of the questions that I wanted to ask. Um, when you go and you identify new properties to buy um, in you know out of state markets, what uh, first? What are the right now today? Um, it is July seventeenth, twenty twenty. What are the markets that attract you the most in the in the U.S. today? Um, and then once you you know I, I, you've identified those uh, markets, they're they're the ones that you want to go for. Um, how do you go about identifying? How do you go about bringing in those leads? Do you go to brokers? Do you do off-market marketing? What's your your main way to to generate leads? Sure. So first and foremost, we look. The most important metric we look at is demographics and and population growth, because you need people for real estate to be of value, and hopefully those people have jobs. Now today, that's really in question, right? <laughs> but, um, uh, but generally, it's where are the jo- where's the job growth where are the people going to get those jobs and what we have seen mostly is uh, the the major demographic shift is headed towards the southeast of the US and um, so, so for the same reason that people are moving there is the same reason it's a great place to invest Texas and Florida no state income tax very low property taxes even low well not Texas but um, low insurance uh, Alabama very friendly um, landlord laws and oh. and low insurance low low taxes so you know you you could look at a property in Florida and look at a property in Texas they both be the same price they both bring in the same rental income but if you're not taking in those other factors where the Texas property might have three times the property tax than the Florida one um, it's really at the end of the day it's the the ROI you know the the net income that matters not so much the purchase price or the rent. It's like, at the end of the day, what are you taking home? And, and that's the net. So as much as we love Texas, we try to look for neighborhoods that have a little bit lower property tax or just have higher cash flow. Um, but so first and foremost, job growth, population growth, then overall low, you know, high, high affordability. And, um, and then the thing that I like to look for beyond those fundamentals is a pop in equity because I'm from California and I, <laughs> I've watched people become millionaires just because they bought a property and rented it out. It goes up in value so much. So even though everybody talks about the wonders of cash flow and cash flow is wonderful, uh, I also like appreciation, appreciation is a lot. <laughs> so if, if I can know that, hey, I'm getting both and the way you generally get both is buying at the right price, but also in an area that's up and coming. So like I said, we bought in Rockwall, Texas, $140,000 homes. They're worth 300,000, 400,000 now. Why? Because we knew a new freeway was coming and that was connecting Dallas oh, to Rockwall. Okay. There was lots of money coming into that area of government money to, to drive people there, literally. Like if you're building a new freeway, that's the government saying, we want you going that way. Yep. And, and we knew that there was going to be, that that was what was going to happen. That area was going to pop. It was too hard to get to before. Beautiful little area, but too hard to get to. We bought right before that freeway finished and all we did was cash flow for a while and all of a sudden made a bunch of money. So we look for that too in these areas. And so, you, you know, you can look at say Atlanta, there's this new belt line. It's kind of like the High Line in New York where they took old uh, train tracks and they're making it into a park. Well, that's going to be very desirable, oh, cool. although today it might not be. Um, so you could kind of buy low and know that the government has plans for that area to be up and coming. Um, the same with this this parts of 
Tampa where the the freeway was extended and and um, that's that's a big sign. Uh, you've got lots of private money going into areas like Tampa too. I think it's Bill Gates or a big, huge um, new downtown area in Tampa. That cool. that tells you something that there's a lot of money going in. That's one of the reasons we love Detroit. Two billionaires put in billions of dollars to bring Detroit back after it went bankrupt. Really? So we thought, oh my gosh, this city is down in the dumps. You know, that's a good thing. Most people were running from Detroit, but we're like, wow, it does, it's not going to get much worse than this. It's just wild <laughs> bankruptcy. Um, and then sure enough, uh, Mike Illich and, uh, oh my gosh, the other billionaire, for some reason, his name is, you just look it up, you'll, you'll find it. I just did a podcast on it. They love their city and they started just buying up buildings downtown for super cheap, like almost nothing. And um, it's the Quicken Loans guy that- Oh, um, nice. Can't think of it. Anyway, he took his Quicken Loans downtown, made it a super attractive place for millennials. And so real wealth, we jumped in and just started buying properties in Detroit for $60,000, $70,000. And they've doubled in value in the last few years. So follow the money, follow- where the cities are investing, where the federal government's investing, and where billionaires are investing. And that should give you some clues where we might also see appreciation. Awesome. I love it. And yeah, I, when I first got into investing, um, somebody had told me to follow the path of development, which is basically the same thing as follow the money. So I, yeah. I love that, uh, that piece yep. of advice. Um, so the Southeast, that's uh, that's your that's where you're focusing your attention right now. Um, you feel like there's a we like oh. we like the southeast, but we also like balancing it out with the high cash flow of Ohio and Pennsylvania and uh, Kansas City. So uh, we're seeing kind of appreciation across the board because a lot of those cities are reinventing themselves. Mm. So uh, just like even in our uh, rental fund that we have, we we have a mix of sort of the high cash flow properties, the the ter- tertiary markets as they call it, and the secondary markets. Um, just to have a, a balance there. Nice. Yeah, actually, we uh, we almost bought a um, smaller ten unit uh, multifamily in um, Cleveland, Cleveland mm-hmm. and Columbus. We've been uh, we've been really focused on some. Columbus said is that. great. Yeah. Um, so southeast, and then it sounds like the Midwest um, around the Great Lakes area is kind of where you guys are are, are seeing um, opportunity pop up. Yeah. Um, so last question in the business side of things. Um, Lead generation. How do you bring the leads in? Do you go to brokers? Do you just buy things off market? Um, or do you actually market for leads off market? Well, I, we do it. We, we rely on other people. So, um, in the same way that I would find really great real estate agents nationwide to help me find property and help our members at real wealth. We also have brought on people who know how to find deals in their area. Cause I'm, I can't be an expert on finding distressed property in Tampa and also Birmingham and, you know, <laughs> every other area. <laughs> so we find people who know how to do that. Okay. And then Perfect. they, you know, they sell those properties to our, our membership. Awesome. All right. So I'm going to um, shift us towards the end of the episode here. Um, I always ask every guest, uh, we all know that real estate is a, um, it is a roller coaster. You got your ups, you got your downs. Um, it's inevitable. You're always going to see both of those. Um, so I want to take you to take us to the stories of the up and the down. Um, so take us to the point, um, you know, you've had a very expansive career. You've had a lot of success. I'm sure at some point in there, you hit some rocks. We all hit rocks. 
Um, so kind of take us to that point. What was the, what was the story behind that? And then what was the lesson that you pulled out of it? Oh my gosh. So many, <coughs> excuse me. No worries. Um, let's see. I trusted somebody, uh, one of my teams, one of the real estate agents. I said that we, we got one in this little town in Ohio. I can't even think of the name of it anymore. It was like an hour from, it was between Cleveland and, and Pittsburgh in this little oil town. And he sold me a house for $50,000. He's like, this is, there's an oil boom here and you can rent it for 900. And I'm like, yeah, all day. So <laughs> I wired the money and we bought the house and I never went to see it. And I didn't get an inspection. I didn't get an appraisal. It was just 100% trust because by now I was pretty well known. I had a pretty big following. I could refer him thousands of people and so much business. Like why would anyone try to screw you? Yeah. Why, why would you do that? You know? <laughs> and he did. So I went, finally I went to see the property and this neighbor walks up and says, Oh, you're that dumb Californian. <laughs> you bought this. <laughs> he goes, that house about to fall and crush those children. Like, Excuse me. He said, yeah, you need to get those, those two year olds out of that house. Cause that house is about to collapse and hurt those children. And I'm like, what? So I go knock on the door. I, like, I need you to get the children out. And uh, they said, yeah, the floor, you know, looks like it's kind of caving in. I'm like, well, get the children out. <laughs> we ended up having to pay them to leave, you know, because they, they're in this dangerous house um, and, and find them a safe place to live. And I went back to the guy. I'm like, how could you sell this to me? He's like, oh, it's a good house. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. literally no. falling no, it's down. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and red tagged, I mean, literally red, red tagged. Wow. So, you know, my bad for trusting even like, even me being as experienced as I am and, and like being as well known to, you know, there, he didn't care. He just didn't care. Um, now I was able to threaten him enough that he bought that house back from me and we didn't lose money on it. But this, the point of the story is that there are people in this business who have no problem ripping you off. Absolutely no problem. So at the end of the day, you can, you can avoid that by doing what you need to do, your basic due diligence, which I did not do. I, I just trusted. And um, so dumb, you know, get, get your inspection, get your appraisal, uh, do, you know, go online, see, you know, if I had just gone there and looked at it, that would have been enough, you know, or talk to the neighbor. A lot of times you talk to the neighbor, they'll tell you a lot of things. And Absolutely. it was this neighbor. He's like, oh, you're the dummy. So <laughs> that was one. And Another one was when it was in 2006 where I picked the right market, I got the wrong loan. So we were, we got two construction properties, but instead of getting a, um, per, a construction to perm loan, meaning like you get the construction loan and then it converts to a permanent loan, we got a, a loan that ballooned. So after the construction, it would be due in a year mm. um, during that construction. And if, if you, you know, you got a refi out of it. So we bought two of them. They were worth about 200000 each. So it was like 400000 and, um, and then the market collapsed in 2008 and there was no, no financing. And by then we had way over 10 loans. So Fannie and Freddie wouldn't allow us to have any more loans. Mm. So here we had a balloon note. I thought, I thought I got a construction to perm loan and I didn't even read the documents and I was a mortgage broker. <laughs> so here all along, I thought, oh, it's just going to convert. Nope. It ballooned. It was due. 
So I am, you know, we, we didn't have the $400,000 cash. There was no lender. There was nothing. So that was my tail between my legs, hand it back to the bank. We walked away from our deposit. Oh man. It was a bummer. I'm glad, I'm glad you guys uh, came out on the other side of that. So, I mean, I love the lesson though. Um, you know, we always want to start out with a modicum of trust when we build relationships, but really you got to do your due diligence. People, especially in real estate, in my opinion, um, they're out. Some of them do not have the best intentions or they just don't. Many of them. Like there are a lot of people with no soul in real estate. It's amazing. They can look you in the eye and you think they're your friend and it's, it's amazing. You've got to be careful. Yep. So do due diligence, trust your gut and, uh, and watch out for the sharks out there. Um, make sure you actually walk, watch your property so you don't buy one that has the floor that's about to collapse. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's a good story. So that's the bottom. Take us to the top. I mean, you're still in it. You're still loving it. Um, so why do you keep coming, you know, wake up in the morning and keep going back to real estate? What brings you back? It's, <laughs> it's amazing. I am here. It's still here. Um, first of all, we have a really great business now with 15 different teams across the country that we've been working with for seven years or more that have just done amazing things for our members. So we have so many members saying, I'm retired now. I have a retirement plan now. I, uh, my houses have doubled in value while cash flowing and, you know, just really happy people and it's changed their lives. So just from a personal perspective, that's, that feels really good. Plus our team at Real Wealth is like family. So we love our business and, and keep doing it. But um, I would say on the, like the best deal I ever did was when, um, let's see, back in 2010, I didn't, all I knew is I had a following and I, but I didn't know anything about raising money. And this developer came to me and said, Hey, land is so cheap right now. If you can raise money, we can get some amazing deals. And, um, and so I, I was like, I don't know, let's see if I can raise money. And I, he, he, found this uh, uh, like property that had been $6 million. It had sold for $6 million and we could get it for 375,000. And, um, oh. you know, so I found that I could raise money and I became a syndicator very quickly. And we were just buying up these incredible deals, but the best one, and we're still, you know, we're still syndicating. We're still doing development, but obviously not getting land for 10 cents on the dollar like we were <laughs> then. But one of them, we got this, commercial building. It was just this like old office building, just ugly and old outside of San Francisco. And, um, and, and the owner didn't know that that whole area in Dublin, California was about to be transformed. The whole, the city council had plans to just make it really nice, completely revitalize it. So if you can find people who are sort of not doing their homework and they've owned a building forever and they don't know what's happening and how things are changing, you can get a deal. So this office owner didn't know. So we were able to tie it up for, it was $10 million, but all we had to do was put down 1.2 million for two years to, to be able to, during that two year period, um, re-entitle the land to residential. And we knew that the city wanted it to be residential. They were trying to make like a live workspace in downtown and they really loved our plan. So during the two years that we just put, I raised the 1.2 million, we tied up the property. It was very risky. The investors knew it because it's like, <laughs> look, you know, we, we don't have the 10 million to close on it. We are, we're going to flip this. And so they were okay to do that. And uh, so we tied it up for 1.2 million, re-entitled it to residential, sold it to Pulte Homes. 
for 20 million. (laughs) So at the closing table, we bought it for 10 and sold it for 20. That is a pretty good deal. Our investors were super happy about it. They were happy. They were happy investors. That's funny. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Kathy, thank you very much for coming on the show. I know I can speak for everybody listening and watching that we appreciated everything you shared with us. Um, One thing I also like to ask uh, if, if, you know, you've given us a lot. So if somebody wanted to bring you something, um, what, what is it that you'd like to receive? Do you want uh, um, recommendations or, or uh, deal, deal referrals? Um, what, what is it that you guys are looking uh, to, to receive? We are now just um, expanding to bringing on highly experienced real estate agents, people that really know how to help people find great deals. And we're expanding into many markets. So I would say if, um, if there are really experienced agents who are looking to be a part of our real wealth team, we're, we're expanding our brokerage. So that would be one. And with that, we're also looking for commercial brokers to come along too, because, or at least bring us projects because we do expect that there will be some fallout from this, um, you know, crazy economy right now. And, we want to be ready with you know to pick up some distressed assets, whether we syndicate. So we would love to have more deal flow that way, um, and brokers who can bring us maybe some projects that went back to the bank or yeah, perfect, good Sounds deals. Good. Yeah, there's a that- little area between like two million and ten million that the hedge funds don't. It's too small for them, but it's too big for the average person, and that's our sweet spot. Perfect. All right. And if somebody did want to get in contact with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, realwealth.com. It's free to join. And uh, they can just join there if they're interested in learning more about us. And then uh, Retire Rich with Rentals is my book. And then my show, my podcast is The Real Wealth Show. And I also do a daily real estate news show that's like five minutes per show for just awesome. little, little real estate updates. There you had it. So if you want to get in contact with uh, Kathy, go to realwealth.com. I will also put her LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So if you want to click through there, you can check that out. Um, Again, Kathy, thank you for coming on. Um, For everybody listening and watching, thank you for joining us today. Uh, We appreciate having you here. Best way to support the show is subscribe, like, share with your friends and family. um, And we look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Real Estate Investing Club. If you feel we've provided value, we would appreciate it if you hit that thumbs up, share with your friends online, whatever it may be. If you'd like to share or partner with us on an investment deal, we are always looking for quality projects. Go to www.therealestateinvestingclub.com to get in contact with one of our partners. Otherwise, I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic day and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. 
Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at Gabe at the real estate investing club.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.